So this was the headline of an article released in, in May of this year from the Surgeon General where they put together this long study. After doing a long study, they put together this long report, a 69-page report about the state of loneliness and isolation in America. I highly encourage you to go read it. It's really fascinating and informing, and apparently that's how I spend my Saturday nights these days, <laughs> prepping for my sermon. So uh, I actually had the sermon mostly done before, but then I found this study, and I was like, this is fascinating. So last night I was reading through it, and the, the, I'm not going to read you the 69 pages, but a couple just little clips. It says, today, May 23rd, 2023, United States Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy released a new Surgeon General advisory calling attention to the public health crisis of loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection in our country. The physical health consequences of poor or insufficient connection include a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. Additionally, Lacking social connection increases risk of premature death by more than 60%. And they go on in this article which summarizes the 69-page report that uh, the, the level of depression and anxiety among adults and young adults and even kids directly relates to the level of loneliness that they feel. The Surgeon General says, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way that we have prioritized other public health issues such as tobacco, obesity, substance use disorders, and the like. Together, we can build a country that is healthier, more resilient, less lonely, and more connected. And the Surgeon General, it, in the article, it says the Surgeon General advisory lays out a framework for the United States to establish a national strategy to advocate social connections based on six foundational pillars. Six foundational pillars. And the first one being strengthening social infrastructure. The middle four I don't care about because they don't relate to us today, although they're really good. And then the last one, cultivate a culture of connection. So strengthen social infrastructure. And they mention things like public schools and libraries and parks and different things in communities that get people together like a church. And create a culture of connection like helping people learn how to answer the phone when somebody calls them. And don't, ask, don't hold me accountable to that. I hate answering the phone. But things like that, right? Responding to texts, looking people in the eyes when you interact with them, when you go to the grocery store or to the gas station to take the AirPod out and listen to the person, to take your eyes off of your phone and look them in the eye, this type of stuff. This is what the Surgeon General is saying. Our country needs to raise the level of mental health, to raise the level of health for people in general, both physical and mental health. And I want to say, Surgeon General, this is what the church has been doing generation after generation after generation, amen? That's why we are here. Now, we are here because we are a community. We need community. We crave community. We long for community. And our community happens to be built around Jesus Christ. Fascinatingly, this morning, the NPR had an article titled, The Search for a Church That Isn't a Church. 
And, and the whole idea of this article is people longing for the type of community that a church creates and builds minus the Jesus piece. Now, now there's something to be said about that. I, I think as we think about that, we just think there, that is just such a real need in our lives and in our communities and even within our own church. Right? In this room, there's people who feel isolated and lonely and disconnected. And so hearing that the church is supposed to be a place to help that, you're like, well, then why hasn't it yet? And so we'll get there. We'll touch on some of that. But the reality is what our community needs, what our world needs, what we're longing for, what all of us need and are longing for is the very reason that the church exists. We are a people who are centered around Jesus Christ. You can't take Jesus Christ out of the community and have the same community. We are built around Jesus. He is our unifier. He is the affinity that you and I have with each other. You and I, we probably have a lot of differences of personality, preferences, likes, interests, hobbies. You and I may not be the best friends. You and the person sitting next to you in the pew may not be best friends. You may not have enough in common to like be buddy-buddy for life, but you have something in common. It's Jesus Christ. And so around him, this community is being built. And so I, I want to say to the Surgeon General and to the community at large that this is why the church is here, to help this very problem. And so this morning, we're going to address that. Kyle already mentioned the six steps to community. And so like we are called as a church, leadership and organization, to call you into community and to give some simple steps to community. And so we're trying to do our organized part for that. But this morning, I want to talk more about our individualized part in that. How are we as people called to create community and called to be community? One of my favorite authors and thinkers right now is a guy named Kurt Thompson, and he said, community isn't found, it's made. And so while the church organization has a structure to try and get you connected to community, at the end of the day, we can't connect you to community. Nobody else can create community for you. There's a personal responsibility for each of us to help make community. And so that's what I want to look at a little bit today as we spend a little bit of time together. And before we get specifically into the call of community and like what it takes for all of us to be and make community, I want to talk about just two quick big picture things. Like what does it mean that we're made for community? How are we shaped by community? And then we'll talk about the specific call for how you and I create community in and through Park Community Church. So first of all, made for community. Look at Genesis chapter 1 with me. I'm going to cover a bunch of different texts. I have all the page numbers up there, so if you use the Pew Bible, you can get to them quickly. We're going to start here with Genesis chapter 1 and see how we're made for community. And, and how, like, even this article from the Surgeon General, it taps into this, this God-shaped hole and longing that everybody has in their life. Because it was a God's design and intent to create us for community. Look at Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who's God talking to? The Godhead. See, God, God is one being, three persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is in community with himself. He's a relational being. And so we can't, under, we can't like solve the Trinity, right? It's a mystery that has to be embraced rather than a theological mystery that we have to try and master. There, like all of your little like imageries, somebody's going to try to 
call you out as a heretic if you try to, like, uh, he's like an egg, there's like an egg white, a yolk, and a shell, or it's like a father, son, dad, mother, like, I don't, I don't understand why Christians are so mean to each other and call each other heretics for trying to, like, understand God. However, I'm just saying that there's a mystery to the Godhead that we can't solve and understand, and the harder that you try, the more, like, religiously-minded people are going to call you a heretic. So just let it be a mystery. The reality is God is in community with himself. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, and he says, let us, one being, three natures, let us make man, and this man right here is mankind, it's the general term for mankind, let us make mankind in our own image. And so that image, that likeness, is this relational image, a relational likeness. God has designed us to be like him, that is, to be in community with him and other beings, other human beings created like us. Flip over to Genesis chapter 2. And so, Genesis chapter 1 is like this poetic telling of creation. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Genesis, at the end of the chapter, you know, God says, let us make man in our own image, that's mankind, and then it says male and female, he created him. And then Genesis 2, it's another story of the creation account where Adam, so Adam sometimes is used generally of all people, like mankind, Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, what we're about to read is specifically about the man. It's not about Adam and Eve or or mankind in general, it's more specific. And so, in the creation account, God creates man first, Adam, and then he gives Adam this task to name the animals. Adam is in the Garden of Eden, perfectly communing with God, is perfect communion with God. He's in paradise. And then we pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then Yahweh said, It is not good that man, Adam, this particular man, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So then the story goes, God creates Eve, a suitable helper. Oh, women, please don't be offended by that term, helper. It doesn't mean like you're a secretary. That word, the only other times it's used in the scripture, it's of God being the helper of his people Israel. It's an idea of strength, that man alone is incomplete, that it's not good for man to be alone, that he needs another partner, a strength beside him to help him. And the man also helps the woman. It's this co-equal, we are image bearers together, and without man and woman, we don't bear the image of God. Man and woman being in relationship to one another, but also men and women being in relationship to other men and women. But here's the key point from, for this morning. What was Adam lacking? Verse 18. Everything is good. Everything is good. Everything is good. God creates everything good. Adam is in the Garden of Eden without the presence of sin, perfect communion with God the Father. And the only thing that's not good is that Adam didn't have another human being to be in relationship with. That's what God says. Then Yahweh said, it is not good for Adam, for man to be alone. We're made for community. Like, that's kind of mind-blowing. Think about it. Most often, like, we think, if only I could get rid of the presence of sin and the annoyance of other people and be in perfect communion with God, I would have all that I need, right? The pinnacle of life for many Christians is just perfect relationship and communion and intimacy with God. Like Adam, before sin, walking in the garden with God. However, God, even in that state, says it's not good to be alone. 
It's almost like, it's almost like God isn't enough. Which I'm like, I put that back in my mouth. Am I allowed to say that? But in God's own creation, he's saying, I, I, I'm not. You need a like being to be in relationship with and community with. That's how I've designed the world to work. So we're made for community. We're also shaped by community. Flip over to John chapter 13. So Jesus, the Son of God, the, the pinnacle of human beings, the perfect human being, God incarnate, the wisdom of God in flesh. Here's what he teaches us. John 13, 34 through 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying the greatest ethic, the greatest asset the greatest attribute of the people of God is a love for one another. It shapes us and it shapes the world. If you're an evangelistic type, your best evangelism is to love other Christians. If you're not an evangelist, you're like, I don't want to go tell someone the fourfold gospel and try to convert them. Well, just love other Christians. That's the best witness anyway. That's what Jesus is saying. We are shaped by community. You can't love in isolation. And he says, here's the new commandment. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. You can't love in isolation, and you can't have one another in isolation, right? We're shaped by community. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is during Pentecost. This is after Jesus lived his perfect life, died his sacrificial death, overcame sin and death in the grave, and now he ascends back into heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit to fill his followers says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And the Greek word for fellowship there is koinonia, which means deep, intimate friendship, relationship, communion. Not like the elements of communion, but the state of communion, like communing with God and others. So they're together. They're devoted to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to any as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see here this community being shaped by one another around the word of God as the people of God. Some people take this passage and apply it prescriptively, as in like we have to do exactly what they did. My belief and interpretation of this passage is it's a descriptive passage. It's telling us what happened. It's describing what happened on that day in first century Jerusalem. And so we can't necessarily say we have to do exactly what they did on that day. It's describing something that happened. So it's not a prescription that, well, we have to go to the temple every day and go into, every, into each other's homes every day. There was a unique situation that was happening there. However, there's principles that we can take from this passage, that we have to take from this passage if we want to be a biblical church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, that it's communion and to prayers. And so 
what I want to do now is just go into a little bit of time of talking about how do we devote ourselves to koinonia, to community? What does it look like for us to be called to community? See, I think oftentimes the church is really good at studying the scriptures, knowing the Bible, right? And it, we absolutely have to know the scriptures and know the Lord. This is, this is the unifying factor. We have no Jesus community without Jesus, so we need to know the scriptures, we need to break bread, have communion, and we need to pray. But oftentimes, community just kind of gets taken for granted or kind of lumped in there, right? And it's like, people are like, man, the church just needs to pray more. They need to quit partying in the parking lot and go pray more. The church just needs to study the Bible more. We need to know more. We need to know God's word. I don't really care about having meals with people. Like, if the Bible isn't open, does it even count? Right? And so sometimes we can pit even these principles against each other. And I don't want to pit these principles against each other. I just want to take a moment to say, what does it really look like for us to engage koinonia, fellowship, one of the key principles that was in the early church? Koinonia, again, it's communion, it's fellowship, it's friendship, it's where we know one another deeply and intimately. And the more intimately that you are known by others, warts and all, the more you are loved by others. That's koinonia. So what does it look like for us as a church to be called to community together? I'm going to share five different things that I want to see us give ourselves to in this fall. Um, these aren't the only way. They aren't even necessarily the best way. But they're a way that, that I believe God wants to massage into our culture and us as a people in the coming season. And so the first one is to speak life. What does it look like for us to be called to community? And like, we have the six steps of community that our organization has put together to try and help you, but then what can you do? If Kurt Thompson is right in saying that community isn't found, it's made, how can we make community? Number one, to speak life. To, to fight for joy and to live with optimism and to speak well of God and other people. Or in the words of Brooke Vidland, people like people who like people. Right? There's, there's just this reality that people who are, are life-giving, who speak positively, who speak well of God and others, they generally build community, at least more enjoyable community, than those who are consistently negative and complaining and criticizing and bad-mouthing and slandering and gossiping and speculating, right? And so there's a time and a place to, to do all that, right? I mean, a community is messy, and it needs to handle all of us with our warts and our makeup. But what I want to call us to in this season is to be a people who speak life. And this kind of comes back to what I preached last Sunday from Psalm 100. Flip over to Psalm 100 with me. I'm not going to preach through it again, but I do want to read it again. See this character of speaking life to one another in the church the psalmist writes, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And I said again last week, I taught that, that actually Hebrew, as it translates, it's more make a loud shout. Worship team, thank you for being loud this morning. Congregation, thank you for singing loudly. Let's take just a moment and make a loud shout to the Lord. Whatever you feel like shouting to the Lord, go ahead and do it. Yes, amen. Woo! Look at us practicing Bible. We can do this. Make a joyful noise, a loud shout to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Listen to this characteristic of how we gather with the people of God. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Giving thanks verbally with our mouths. Speaking life. Being people of encouragement. People of positivity. Give thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Just shout out a thanks to God right now for something. Go ahead and do that. God, I thank you for these people. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the coffee. Thank you for the donuts. Whatever, right? This is what we do. We're creating a culture, a community of people who are speaking life one to another. And then the psalm closes, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I love this proverb, Proverb 18, 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How are you using your words? To bring life or to bring death? You will help create community if you use your words to bring life rather than death. Community will not follow words of death. It just doesn't. Well, sometimes it does, and it's very negative community that doesn't change anything. And then Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Some translations uh, translate this, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, which then sometimes gets very moralized, like, well, there's certain words that are off limits for Christians. That's actually not at all what this passage is getting at. Saying let no corrupting talk, which is, words and attitudes and actions and comments and phrases that tear down community and people. It's gossip, it's slander, it's bad-mouthing, it's speculating. That's what this passage is getting at. And it, and it says, let, let none of that kind of talk, talk that, talk that is like cancer in community, let none of that come out of your mouth. But only talk that builds up people and community as it fits the occasion. And every person has a different type of language, a different style of language, a different word that needs to be heard in a different season that will build them up. So this implies getting to know people, where they're at, their stories, their, their convictions, what, what, what language will communicate effectively to them. This is what we're called to do as a community. And this is part of speaking life. Number two, take initiative. We, each of us, needs to take initiative for our spiritual formation and our koinonia connection, right? And so listen to sermons, read books, listen to podcasts, and, and, and think and grow and wrestle with it. And then when we have things like the parking lot party or the upcoming worship night or anything that, that the church like offers or even on your own, it's like to take some initiative for yourself to create koinonia. It can't be found. You can't be placed into it. it it's developed. It's made over time. And so each one of us needs to take some initiative in our own spiritual growth and development in life and getting connected to other people. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they may be satisfied. Now, righteousness, it doesn't mean a moralistic way of living. It means a right relationship to God and other beings. That may include some moralistic living, right? But it's a result of what you actually hunger for. Do you desire right relationship with God and others? Then that will change over time how you act. But it's also on you to be hungry. 
and to feed your hunger and to foster your hunger. Our, our daughter Oakley is in a season where she just so often is like, Mama, I'm hungry, Mama, I'm hungry, Mama, I'm hungry. She's almost seven. She can't go to the grocery store and get her own groceries and prepare her own meals, right? But this usually happens after dinner when we've gone to the grocery store, prepared dinner, we put it there, and she hasn't eaten enough, and then 20 minutes later, Mama, I'm hungry, Mama, I'm hungry. Okay, so there's a Chobani flip in the fridge, there's some crackers in the cupboard, there's a banana. You can have one of those. She has to take, take some initiative, take some responsibility for feeding herself, right? And we're all in a different place on our journey. Some are like Oakley, where you need somebody to go to the store and to get you the elements and to have it there ready for you and to maybe say, well, at your stage of life, maybe you can peel your own banana, but you can't fry your own egg, right? So everyone's in a different journey on this, but the point is that at the end of the day, we have to take initiative for our own hunger, both spiritually and communally. And we have to stay hungry for the things of the Lord, for righteousness, right relationship to God, right relationship to others. In Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is a beautiful passage. Jesus has just gotten done doing a bunch of miracles. And somebody says, Blessed be Mary, the womb who bore this guy. So Catholics, those of you who have a Catholic background, I'm sorry here. Jesus says, yeah, Mary, my mom, she's great. She's awesome. But actually, whoever does my word is just as equal to Mary. He's like, no, actually, rather, the person who hears my word takes initiative and does my word, puts it into practice. They're the ones who are blessed. Do what you know. Apply the things of God that you've already learned. This is how we take initiative. Apply the basic principles of relational development and building to build koinonia connection. Do what we know. Number three is to seek truth. Seek truth. And this is truth about God, self, and others. Like as a church, we are a people who long for truth. And we don't want to get into a, a, a fixed mindset a closed mindset where we're like, yeah, we already know all the things about God and we already know, know all the things about the state of the world and all of our opinions have already solidified and they're all like, no, we stay open and humble and we continually try to learn truth. New truths about God, new truths about other people, new truths about the world. Here's what this looks like for me personally. This morning, we were singing the goodness of God and in there a line says, I give you everything. And truth, like knowing truth for myself, I wrote down this. And actually, I want to, like I think about some church context where people would shout this out in response to that line. God, I give you everything. And I could just hear some lady saying, I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> I've been in an environment like that and it's awesome. I love it. So much more honest. That's truth. To me, as I sing that song, God, I give you everything. My truthful prayer is, I don't know if I'm ready, but I want to. And so together we seek truth, not just like Bible verses slapped onto real situations, but like true, like what does the Bible mean? What's going on in here? How do, these, how do the two of these coincide? Where's my resistance to what God has for me? That's what we do together. To see this in the scriptures, let's look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 5 through 9. John says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So John is proclaiming truth about God to a community of people. 
This is the truth that we heard and we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Truth about God. If we say we have fellowship, koinonia with him, deep, intimate connection with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia with one another. Community, true, genuine koinonia community needs to be a people who are seeking the truth about God and about ourselves and about others together. We have koinonia, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And often, I think what we do in church is we minimize sin, we slap a Bible verse on it, and we haven't actually gotten to the root of our issues. We say, oh, I don't have any sin, or yeah I've, got, yeah, I've got these little ones over here, and like we just, we move on. And so this is a call for us to like start peeling back the mask, start revealing what's really going on. When you sing, I give you everything, do you really? What if God comes asking for your most prized possession? Truth is to say, my hand is pretty tight around that. I don't know if I'm ready to give that up. And then trusting God to help you give it up in his time and in his way with his people. That's, that's truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, this confession isn't to a priest. It's to both God in prayer, but also community of others. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He draws us in, he cleanses us, he places us in communities of people who can handle our junk. And there is not growth without that and there's not koinonia community without you sharing your junk and you also receiving others, other people's junk. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. couple pages to the left. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And the, first, the verses preceding this are great as well, but for time's sake, I'm going to jump into verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One of the things that I want you to notice as you read the Bible over the coming days, weeks, months, years, the Bible never calls us to control other people. It often calls us to be self-controlled. Amen? Amen? Amen. Parents, how often do you try to control your kids rather than yourself? People? All the time. Amen. (laughs) So much easier if they would just do what I said. Why am I getting angry? Control myself. Control myself. (laughs) How, How often do you want to control politicians? It like the Bible calls us to be a people who are self-controlled. Self-control, that, that, that's truth. What does that look like for you? And then sober-minded, sober-minded doesn't just have to do with substance abuse, like being inebriated on drugs or alcohol. It has to do with not thinking rightly about God and others in a situation. And so we can lack sober-mindedness because we listen to too much news. Amen? We can lack sober-mindedness because we listen to too many podcasts. We can lack sober-mindedness because we are intoxicated on information and we are neglecting relationship. And so the call here for us as a, as a church family is to seek truth about God, self, and others, to, to, to step into life in a sober-minded approach for the sake of your prayers, 
so that we have a genuine, honest understanding of who God is, who other people are. Be sober-minded. That is a piece of seeking truth together. Number four, and we'll stay with this text for the last two. Number four, uh, verse eight and nine. Peter goes on to say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sounds similar to what Jesus said. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is what it means to be hospitable. There is a gift of hospitality. Not everybody has it. Some people have it. Not everybody has it. But there is not an excuse for followers of Jesus to not be hospitable. Hospitality looks different for all of us based off of our wiring, based off of our gifting or lack thereof. But the simple things that we can do is to have meals together, to ask questions about other people, and have a curious posture of actually learning rather than a judgmental posture of trying to fix. Amen? Like how often are you just sick of that? Someone's just giving you advice all the time, trying to fix, and you're like, you haven't even heard me. You don't even understand my frustration, my hesitation, my question, because you cut me off with your advice. That's not hospitable. And so as we build community, we have to create places of hospitality. And I realize the irony that I'm giving you all this advice right now. I would much rather just have a coffee with you and hear your story. But that doesn't preach. I don't know how to, I got, whatever. Be hospitable. That's part of the call for us as the people of God. And then lastly, sticking with this text is to receive and give, to receive all that God has, all that he gives us, and to give all that you can. Look at how Peter continues. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God doles out different spiritual gifts. And Peter here is saying, receive who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Receive the gospel. Believe the gospel. Receive that. That's how real, life-changing, life-giving Christian community is built, by receiving Jesus. It's not by receiving five good points from your pastor about how to build communities. Jesus Fixate on Jesus. Gather around Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Take the gift of new life that he's given you and then the gifts, the spiritual gifts that he's given you, receive them and then use it to serve others. Give yourself away. Time, treasure, talents, give it away for the glory of God and the good of other people. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we gather as a church community on Sunday mornings, we gather to receive who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Like you can forget all of these five points. Forget anything that I said other than God wants you in community And Jesus is the one who builds and energizes that community. He's he's the gift that you and I need to consistently receive and give to one another. So one of the rhythms that we do every week at Park Community Church is to pause after the sermon and to take communion. To come to the table. There's two here in the front and two in the back. And to receive. To receive the bread which reminds us that Jesus gave his body for us, that God came in flesh and lived a perfect life that you you and I are incapable of living and died a sinner's death in our place on our behalf. And the cup, 
which represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to pray, and then as the worship team comes back and leads us out with this closing song, you're welcome to come to the table and receive all that God has for you. Namely, and most importantly, the gift of his grace through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. That you lived the life that we're struggling to live. Lord, we're incapable of it, but we're striving. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, hopefully we're having victories. But Lord, by the desires of our flesh, we also have struggles. So I thank you that you conquered sin and death in the grave, living the life that we are incapable of living. And that you overcame sin and death in the grave to grant us forgiveness of sins and new life in you. Lord, I pray that you would develop in us a supernatural community for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.